Proverbs chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 20 through 33. Just to recap, last week we, we gave an introduction about Solomon. We all know who Solomon is, right? He was the son of David. He was born out of a scandal of sorts. His mom being Bathsheba, him being the second child. The first child died because that child was a child that was had in adultery. There was Uriah the Hittite that was put on the front lines of battle to be murdered by David. But Bathsheba and David loved each other after all that scandal and had a child named Solomon, and he was to be king after David. And he was one who was considered one of the wisest men that have ever walked the earth. And so the question that I posed last week was simply this. Did he get that wisdom overnight or did he get it through experience did he get it through things that he had gone through and i mentioned and all most of us know that he had 700 wives uh, most of them being political and then he had 300 concubines he knew something about women and so we take these things spiritually as written here and we're going to learn about a particular woman tonight and that woman will be seen as um well i'm gonna i'm gonna let you get to that i want to get to that with you i'm not going to give you the answer yet but uh there is a woman involved there's a woman that is the adulterous woman and then there's the wise woman such as proverbs 31 31 talks about a woman who's very virtuous and does many things for the people of god and she's looked to as somebody that uh represents the church i just gave you the answer all right so <laughs> I, I'm not used to doing this. Pastor said, don't tell them you're up there not used to doing this, but I'm not. And um, I need to do it more, I suppose. But anyway, so we know that uh, Solomon, uh, he asked the Lord as a child to receive this wisdom and God gave it to him through all his experiences. You're all familiar with the story of the two women. One claimed that a child was hers and the other had the child and they argued over it and the baby was brought before Solomon and in this wonderful occasion where Solomon would demonstrate the wisdom that God had given to him he simply said well we'll just cut the baby in half we'll give one half to you and one half to the other so a lot of times you hear that old colloquial saying that you know um, well let's cut the baby in half on this one for trying to uh, reason with people um, so what happened was the woman that uh, did not give birth to that child said, yeah, just cut it in half. And then the one who loved it said, no, just give it to her because she loved the child because it came from her. And then Solomon was known for his great wisdom and it spread quickly all the way down into Africa where you had the Queen of Sheba come up and uh, want to know the, this wisdom in Solomon. So it was definitely something he had to learn. Um, so tonight we're going to look at verses 20 through 33. Last week we talked about the value, the benefits and blessings of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We talked about the purpose and the plans and the perfection that exist in wisdom. And we also understand the beginning of our wisdom, which starts with knowledge. 
Uh, a lot of us become very knowledgeable about things early on in our Christian walk. And we can tell you the five points of Calvinism. We can tell you the five solas. We can tell you chapter and verse. And we become very um, Bible verse oriented. And we sound like we know what we're talking about. But stick yourselves in the trial. And then all those things really become irrelevant. And then you're saying like we learned this last Sunday, Lord, have mercy on me. Right now. All doctrine is profitable for reproof, instruction, and correction in righteousness that every man and woman and child should be thoroughly furnished and ready for every uh, good work. We know that is the case. So we want to learn how we are to conduct ourselves, what does wisdom teach, and how can we benefit from it. We're reminded that uh, there are conspiracies. It opens up. We know this is a father speaking to a son. We can see illusions as the Father of glory would speak to the God, the Son, and let him know how things go. But we can also see that Solomon also had a son, Rehoboam, and he would speak to him as well. And I have a son. He's now 12 years old. I said, I'm going to var mitzvah you. And uh, the way I did that was reading to him the Proverbs, because how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word... And so when you learn wisdom, you learn about the nature of man and what it means to be wise in this world to avoid the allurements of a seductress woman, a woman that wants to take you in and show you all kinds of pleasurable things. And there's so many things to give example, drugs, false religion, um, pleasurable things, the world's enticements, all these things chew you up and spit you out. Many wise men, the proverb says, have, or many mighty men, not wise, but mighty men have gone into her and have not come out. You can read about that all throughout the Proverbs, and that's why it's important that we continue to look into these things. It's amazing that God would give us 31 chapters. We have 31 days in a month, usually 31, 30. So you can read Proverbs a day to keep... Uh, the seductress woman away. Okay. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you see the triune nature of this. Um, the Father teaching the Son. And what I want to talk about tonight is the part of wisdom and her first speech in the book of Proverbs. It is a word, wisdom, that uh, has a, a feminine side to it, uh, plural feminine, the word wisdom in the Hebrew but it's uh, related to something, and I want to go through this and try and make sense of where I'm coming from according to how I would perceive wisdom as a woman and what does that mean for us, the church. Wisdom's first speech. Let's read the, the, the part here, uh, starting at verse 20. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of, dis of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city, she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Now take a little highlighter. You could highlight that 23. Because there's another little precious promise that if you do turn, that these things will be applied to you. 
because I have called, now he's, the wisdom is giving the warning, because I have called, you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded, but you have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity, I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. Doesn't that sound pretty scary? Horrible. But it's so important, and blessed are those who continually seek and knock and want to know God, so that when he does come and He's expecting us to know his coming, that we will be ready. But these folks did not uh, any of his counsel, and they shall seek um, himself early. They'll seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, despised all my reproof, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. That is called reprobation. We see that in Romans chapter 1. We see it demonstrated by those who would do drag queen story time and try and sexualize our children. This is the actual epitome of uh, reprobation. Therefore shall they eat of their fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Now here's another promise. Highlight it. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely. That safely is another word for salvation. It's another word for being saved. They shall dwell in salvation. Where is salvation located? In Christ. It's a locational salvation. It's in Christ. And shall be quiet from fear of evil. So wisdom's first speech, uh, we have this uh, Hebrew word here. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but it's there for you in the notes. And it uh, has to do with crying or calling out or shouting out. And um, I wanted to bring up this point, and it may not seem like it makes sense, but I, I hope it will. Let's we'll see if we can work this out. The law kills and the Spirit gives life. Have you ever heard that before? Okay. Now, wisdom, if it is something that we can attain to by taking heed to the Word, it would conduct itself a certain way. And if that wisdom is true and from above and not earthly and sensual, then it will conduct itself a certain way. And that certain way has to do with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that moved holy men of old to write these things. So all the words of God are from the moving of the Holy Spirit as they were penned by men. They were, these are also, all scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction. So all these things that are we're reading are evidences of the Spirit which embodies wisdom. So if wisdom, the wisdom that God has given to us is in his word, it's not to be found anywhere else. And we can also, you know, learn this wisdom by his, um, 
mercy and his grace to teach us as we grow in the knowledge of of god we learn how to be wise in this world there is this wisdom that we can actually attain to but it's done through experience but god will give it to us how many of you understand have you been through experiences where you had to learn something for instance uh this weekend um we had this demonstration was there some things that you learned there okay because we're, we're going to see tonight was this was a demonstration this was god's church actually demonstrating wisdom by standing and speaking to these people that are opposing that which is right and true and i heard reports i talked to deacon gerald he told me that he had some good dialogue with these people and that's what the church needs to do they need to be able to dialogue with these people we don't want to be known for and we have to be very careful and if you see your brother or sister doing something that would go outside of good thoughtful dialogue we have to be careful because what's going to happen is they're going to want to take that type of behavior which might be a little uncouth or um, it might come from a disposition of anger or hate and it'd be easy to get angry because you know the kids are involved and I get angry thinking about that they're trying to sexualize my child as they tried to in public school. I got angry, and there is a righteous anger. But if that righteous anger acts out in a way that they can capture it and put it out to the people via the um, mouth that's been given the beast, which outpours blasphemies and lies and distorts everything that's true, just to frame us, the people, that's what we need to be careful. That's why we need to be taught how to war this warfare how to fight um, against spiritual wickedness in high places they want us and so gerald talking to these people in a calm cool collected manner um, found out by one of them he says wow you guys are very um, nice and you you guys seem to be holding it together with all these people rallying against what you're doing and the person admitted to him that they were trained they were trained they were trained on how to be nice. They could be as angry as, as all get up. You want to hang us by a pool. But they're trained to be nice because they understand they want the media to take us in our slip-ups by saying something out of pocket. That's the word I'm looking for, out of pocket. I think we all understand that. We don't want to say out of pocket things. We want to say things that are according to God's word, and we want to conduct ourselves according to wisdom because we wisdom's first speech was that of crying out she cries out isn't that our first verse in chapter uh one verse 20 wisdom crieth without she uttereth her voice in the streets this is this is the demonstration that was taking place this last sunday this was a demonstration she crieth in the chief place of concourse in the openings of the gates so this is what some theologians would call a sec second admonitory. It's like an admonition to, to the, the world. Uh, and it's a discourse teaching us what, the, what wisdom, how it conducts itself. And what it does is it, it will tell the world where it's wrong. It'll tell the world that God is right and the world is wrong when it comes up with, um, for instance, they believe 
that 40 billion years ago, and these numbers change, that there was this big explosion, and then there was some type of primordial ooze that came out of that, then it became a fish, and then it became a monkey, and then it became a man. I don't know about you, but doesn't that sound just crazy? (laughs) Doesn't that sound crazy? I mean, to even utter those things, I wish I knew what I knew. I remember being in high school, but I didn't have parents to teach me these things. And I would, they would say, okay, you need to connect the lizard to the fish and the fish, and, and it would, you end up at the human, right? And I just remember, you know, squirreling on it and just going like this and thinking, this is crazy, because it didn't make sense to me. It just didn't make sense. And I think if we're honest, it doesn't make sense to anybody. I think that's just what we're told, because people just don't want to believe that there's a God that they have to answer to. You know, every time I look up in the sky now, this is where I get sidetracked, I see we're, we're in a dome. This is a dome. This big, we'll call it a globe. This big globe. We're in this thing. We're not going to planets. We're not going to galaxies far, far away. I believe this is the center of the universe. And science has proven this uh, by the radiation that takes place that goes out like this. There's been studies that it's growing out from this one place in the solar system. But this is it. This is where it all is going to happen. And uh, we're taught so differently to think. So wisdom, um, there are lessons uh, historically that wisdom would teach us. Let's uh, put up Luke 7.35 on the screen. Luke 7.35, you can turn there in your Bibles. Do we have someone up there? Luke 7:35. I like that screen cuz I'm so slow at moving in my Bible. Was it 7:35? Oh, yes it is. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Has anyone heard that verse before? How would wisdom be justified by our children? We're seeing in this text, in verse 31, it says, And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto, uh, they are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. So wisdom, again, is equated to a woman that's having children, And the things that they do justify wisdom. In the context here, it's talking about John the Baptist and what he did. And he was justified for what he did because he pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he justified wisdom because what he did, he did it in wisdom. He called out where the government was wrong. He called out where things were taking place, where there's 
wicked rulers, religious rulers of that time that were deviating from the fact that Messiah would come and take away the sins of the world. And he was justifying wisdom in what he did. And so it has been throughout all of biblical history. We can see Abel being justified um, in his wisdom when he told Cain about what it truly means to worship God through the sacrifice of an animal because he knew the, the testimony of his parents that they were clothed with skins which was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who would have to shed his blood. But Cain believed that he could get right with God by his own growing of vegetables and things of that nature, that somehow what he did was acceptable. So all throughout history, wisdom demonstrates by her children what they do and who they're pointing to. Does that make sense? We've learned this. How about Ephesians 5.25? Here's where we get into a little more of the unveiling of wisdom. Wisdom is considered a woman. So we know in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now we see a correlation here between Christ and a woman. Christ being the bridegroom the church being the bride, is also depicted as a woman. So keep that in your thinking. And then we go to Proverbs 31. So these are the things, this is how wisdom uh, conducts itself in Proverbs 31. Now, in Proverbs 31, how many of you here are not married? All right, do you want to get married? Okay, so you you guys, you men, uh, Pastor Jesse said, never have them raise their hands. But when we were, when I was younger and I was, you know, my, I met my wife, you know, we, we would talk in the Reformed Bible Church, you know, we were looking for the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, all those things that Proverbs 31, I mean, can you imagine a woman doing all these things? Have you read Proverbs 31? It's also from the words of a King Lamel to the prophecy that his mother taught him. But it goes into, let's go there. I'll, I'll read some things that uh, a lot of times in, in the Christian circles I've been in, they'll refer to as, this is the woman I'm looking for. She will be doing all these things. But I bid you to think a little bit more than just a single woman in view here as to be somebody's wife although these are all good things it says uh, starting at uh, let's see verse 10 who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies the heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that she shall dwell or he shall have no need of spoil she will do him good all, uh, and uh, not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food after afar. So this woman is not just a single woman that somebody might be looking for as a bride. This woman is me and you. 
the church. It's bigger than just one woman. Although these things are great, and if you're a woman that wants to start doing all these things, more power to you, it's great. You know, when I was young, I was dumb enough to say, you need to just be quiet and submissive. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it before I start saying anything about submitting to me. And how far we fall short. Um, 29 years of marriage. We just had our anniversary Sunday. It's, it's, you know, it's good. I love my wife. I, you know what I've come to realize? One wife is enough. And remember, remember, this is Solomon who's had a thousand women he's dealing with, so he's got to know something. But there's something to be learned here when we see the church because we know that the church has a heart after her husband, right? Her husband being Christ. It was we saw in Ephesians chapter 5.25. He trusts in her and we trust in him. Um, We don't have any need of spoil. Christ is my all and all. Is the church's all and all? That's what we learned, that Christ is my all. He's all in all. He's, he's all the yes to the, all the promises. Um, the bride of Christ will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. This is a love relationship. And even a man can experience this love for Christ, the man, because that man that loves Christ is part of that church. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willing with, with her hands. All her doing is to clothe others with the perfections of Christ. That's the job of the church, to go out into the world and preach the gospel and cover them with the wool of Christ, righteousness. Um, we also see that she is in merchant ships. She bringeth her food. What is the food we're talking about? Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which she in endures for eternal life remember christ is our meat he's our bread he's our wine he's our gospel wine that relieves us he's our bread that nourishes us his body was broken as a picture when we commune with the bread we eat it for our own nourishment we drink his blood for life life is in the blood without the shedding of blood there's no remission this is what the church is going out and doing sharing these things with big ships we talked about the ship this last Sunday, but that's the merchant ships that go out. We have many missionaries that go out and preach the gospel in all the lands that are in the world. This is the business of the church. So this wisdom is justified of her children, for this wisdom is indeed the church which speaks because we see that the location of where wisdom eternally last is in a person and I, I can't, this may sound redundant but let's uh, put first uh, corinthians 130 on the uh, screen and you'll see who is our wisdom and if he's our wisdom i'll show you further that we are connected we have a union with this wisdom uh, and with christ so that it's all working together see christ uses his body the church to go out and share these things that we uh, get from him. But of him, 
Are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom? So he's our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctification and redemption. In Christ Jesus, you are all these things because Christ is the what? Head of the church. I believe it says that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. I think that's the one. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the one that makes all things. Ephesians 1.23, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We are his body of him that filleth all in all. So we have um, a connection to Christ, which is the head, and we are the church, which is the wisdom that is demonstrated throughout the world. And then I go into, there are two spirits in the world. There's a spirit of truth, and then there's a spirit of error. You see, the church has always been tried to put be put in a bad light. And it can corporately, because there's been things that has happened throughout all history that would make the church not look so good. I just learned tonight that I think it was DeLois was telling me that the Methodist church, there was 200 of them that broke away from the uh, main part of Methodist church to become uh, open to um, drag queens coming in and preaching, homosexuals coming in and preaching. So this is what we call the apostasy. This is the spirit of error. This is the spirit of antichrist. And so these things should be shining brighter and brighter as we go forward in our walk we have to be ready for the spiritual warfare that we're going to be in because we're either going to capitulate or we're going to actually be frontline workers for the kingdom it's a it's something we need to really contemplate because it's happening it's happening right now Uh, we need to be ready for it and we need to know that this thing has been written it's all happening according to God's will and according to his purpose. And we, not, we need not fear because we know we have the victory in the Lord Jesus. We need to pray that God would teach us what it truly means to love our enemies and to act in wisdom this way. And this is how the, I, I talked to pastor and we were very concerned. It was in that room there. And we know when we study history, the only time the church really grew, saints, is when the church, the witness, was martyred, was killed for the gospel. And then people say, how can somebody die for Christ? What kind of faith is this? What kind of spirit exists in a person to be able to die for Christ? It is the very wisdom, the very spirit that is the church, which is the bride of Christ that loves their husband unto death. It's easy to talk about. It's easy to think of these things but what it, what it's going to be like i suggest if you have time you can get a book it's called fox book of martyrs the puritans of old had a couple books one was fox books of martyrs and one was the bible and the fox book of martyrs goes throughout all church history and it looks at all the people that died for christ and many 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 occasions they would be dying for christ being burned at the stake asking that God would have mercy upon the very people that were burning them. It's a miraculous thing, but there is the religious church that can be very heinous, and most of the time it was the church, 
quote-unquote, burning the very people that were trying to love on them and tell them the truth. So that's where we need to be careful about how we conduct ourselves in this world. And we need to, when we get in front of those news anchors and things, you only get a brief second. You got to be really thoughtful. It's probably a good idea to think about what you're going to say, because if you say the wrong thing, that's all they're going to play. So I think this is instructive, wouldn't you say, just to kind of think about these things. We need to be ready. Um, I don't, I don't, America is going to be the last uh, place of freedom. It, we've been running ever since the Meth, uh, Mesopotamian River. We've been running far west. I think this is it. You know, I, you go out to Highway 1, it's like, where do you go now? You know, <laughs> Hawaii? <laughs> um, this is it. This is the last place of freedom. And we've uh, been under this experiment called the United States of America with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So this location where uh, wisdom eternally lasts, and we see here in our text that it goes out to the street. And it goes, this place that we're looking at, this chief place of concourse, is the main place where people gather together. I don't know if anyone has, has anyone been to Mexico? It's, you know, you go down to Mexico, it's different. It's like going back in time. And my wife's Mexican, so we drove all over. And uh, it was her cousin that... His father was a truck driver, and he took us all over the place. But each little city and each town had what was called the town square, and it was the place that I was told where people would meet, and this is where um, commerce was done. There'd be selling of things, but there was oftentimes just getting to know people of the town. But it was also a place where people would put up their places to communicate something that they were trying to communicate to the whole city. And so that's the wisdom that we need to understand as the church. And I, I think that was demonstrated this last Sunday. And I think there'll be more of those times coming. And that's why I would want you to be blessed by this particular uh, lesson tonight. And then there's the gate. This is the place where the rulers actually sit at the gate of these cities. And that's the people we need to be talking to, too. I was talking to a dear brother, Don Schwartz. Uh, he goes to church here, and he's like, why can't we be doing more? Why can't we be calling our congressmen? I think those things are needful, um, and I don't see any issue with it to call them up and say, hey, you know, we need you to not have this happen because this is wrong and we don't like it. You know, and then you get into this whole thing of voting, and this is something I've been very prayerful about. I mean, we want to vote righteousness. We want to vote good things for God and it's like how do you take somebody that is evil on one side and somebody who's evil on the other and then you start weighing which one's more evil than the other and which one's less but I do believe we need to just be vocal and make ourselves known that these things are wrong and you see it more and more happening and I would hope that it doesn't diminish um, to where we're worn out as the book of Revelation says who can, wear, uh, who can make war with the beast? Is that what we're going to be saying? Because the whole design of this beast system is to wear out the saints. But remember, we learned last week that there was a poor wise man in Ecclesiastes who had a city that was besieged in Ecclesiastes. And he, through wisdom, through the wisdom that is taught here in the book, used it to actually take care of that enemy 
and subdue him so that the people would have freedom. But what happened was they forgot that old man and they despised him. That's the history of those who have done these things. And I, I hate to say that there were these type of people that were seeking this type of freedom here in the States. But you had so many things that were going on with that, such as slavery and things of that nature, the slaughtering of Native Americans. But there was another side to all those things. There was people called abolitionists. They didn't want slavery. They were Christian. They knew that it was better for a man to be free and serve the Lord that way. And some of them even had slaves just so they could have them be in a place where they're not being persecuted the way that they saw others persecuting them. And this has been taking place through all, every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue has experienced some form of slavery or another. But the Christian, the true Christian, has always sought for the betterment of those who are going through those type of things being oppressed because he understood the nature of oppression. And the book of Proverbs talks about oppression a lot and that the people rejoice when there's righteousness ruling and the people mourn when there's oppressive rulers ruling. So all throughout history, the, the true Christian has always sought for the betterment of mankind. And there's this blur that um, your scholars and your historians would want you to believe that this church, perhaps Grace Bible Church, are part of those who are part of those things which were evil. And that's where this blurring takes place. We want to make things very clear here. And one of the evidences of that, which I think it's got some of these people that know we're here scratching their heads, is how can you have every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue worshiping under one roof? Well, I'll tell you, it's been done through wisdom that's been imparted to a good pastor, to your deacons and your elders. And those who were come alongside to help out that campaign. And God has truly blessed it. So what you see here is an anomaly. So we need to pray that God would continually build that. Because I keep hearing reports of people going out to like Texas and other parts. And there's this huge segregations. You know, you know, it's all black church. It's an all white church, you know. Well, where is the church? <laughs> you know. The church exists of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, which should be a part of wisdom. I left some commentary in here in your notes. This is the pulpit commentary that I get at BibleHub.com. So you can read these things if you wanted to go deeper into some of these things concerning wisdom. So you have the street, you have the main place, and you have the gate. You have the common folks, the people uh, in the main place, the the town square, and then you have the rulers. This is where wisdom always finds itself. Pastor Jesse reminds us all the time that there are believers within the higher, highest points of government, and they're always a witness towards those who are leadership. There's some way God allows, and we see this all throughout history. Remember, Daniel was one who uh, got to go and speak to Nebuchadnezzar, and so there's always been that place for the believer to speak wisdom to those who are in power so let's go to point number two verse uh, sub point a three revealed um, here in scripture verse starting at verse 22 of proverbs three people in view 
We'll just go a few more minutes here. We have the simple ones in verse 22. How long will you love simplicity? And then we have scorners. And then we have fools that hate knowledge. Let's go to Psalm 4.2. What is a simple-minded person? What is a simple person? Um, if you look up this uh, meaning in the Hebrew, it actually simply means this, one who's open-minded. Now, I don't know about you, but I always thought it was good to be open-minded. I'm open-minded. Well, um, to be open-minded may allow for things that are untrue to enter in. We have to be guarded in our minds, right? The war is after our minds. But if we're simply open-minded to every wind of doctrine being tossed in to and fro like children... It is important that we guard our minds, not just be open-minded to where things can go in and out and we're actually starting to believe things that are contrary to absolutes. Anyone watch Star Wars? All right, do you remember when uh, Anakin was turning to the dark side and he was fighting um, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the lava pit? (laughs) All right. Well, there was something that was said by Obi-Wan Kenobi because Anakin was saying all kinds of crazy things and uh, he said something, but I remember Obi-Wan said something. He says, only the Sith, which are the evil ones, right, believe in absolutes. And I said, oh, you got it. George Luke is trying to hit on Christians, right? Because we actually believe in absolutes. There are absolute truths. Absolutely, right? But only the Sith believe in absolutes. Now I'm starting to think maybe the Sith are the good guys. But <laughs> So these things are inserted. So if you're open-minded, you, you start thinking, okay, the Sith are um, evil. And if they believe in absolutes, that means people who believe in absolutes are evil. So therefore, you see the insertion to go after Christians. So in the young, impressionable, open-minded child that's not brought up under tutorage and and biblical training will fall into the trap of thinking, if I say, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. That's an absolute. But if he bought into a lie that George Lucas put out, then I would be the dark Sith Lord. You know, I didn't think about these things, about what I was going to say tonight, but it's all coming out. (laughs) Uh, I'm a truck driver, though. I guess it just comes natural. Um, so these simple ones are open-minded. Um, the scorner are those who scoff and have disdain. They become jaded. And you see these people often. They can sound like great conservatives, but they're just scorning everything. Like, it's all bad. Like, this is, who cares? You know, burn the city. You know, that's that's what, it's. there's nothing that's telling you why these things happen and that's one of the absolutes it's called sin you know no newscaster saying all right tonight uh, there was traffic somebody got out of their car and took a baseball bat and started hitting the other car and it was because of sin (laughs) you don't hear that no it's not and they're trying to make it so that we need to care for the one that had the baseball bat he had psychological problems there's no sin anymore 
It's just something that can be addressed and fixed through whether it's pharmaceutical drugs or, um, you know, detaining somebody or putting them away forever. It's never about sin. What is sin? Sin is the transgression of God's law. So there are three people. We see the simple, we see the scorners, and we see fools. Fools are those who believe that somehow they can get right with God by their own works. We see this in Psalm 4.2. I think we put that up. Oh, you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? Why is that? People want to take the glory from God, call it their own. Um, how long will you love vanity? What is vanity? You see Vanity Fair. There's a, a magazine, Vanity Fair. Well, that simply means emptiness. It's just empty. This fluff. It doesn't do anything for you. It has no real substance to it. It's just... Um, Vanity, and then seek after leasing. What is leasing? That's an old English word for lying. They are liars. Let God be true, and every man what? That's right. So uh, you have these three people in mind here that's being spoke to and warned. And there are many verses that would um, speak of these type of individuals. And God gives the warning. Through wisdom, because I have called, you refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. This is the evangelical nature of wisdom. Wisdom is always calling out to sinners to turn you at my reproof. That's repentance. This is subpoint B of point number two. The call is repentance, it's salvation, and it is the Spirit. Let's uh, put Matthew 22, verse 14 on the screen. Many are called, but few are chosen. It is our duty to call. One of the great uh, theologians and preachers of our time of yesteryear was uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And one of the things I loved about him when I read his work is he's always taking verses, and it could be such a small passage, but he blows it up so big that he makes it so that it's actually calling sinners to repentance, calling sinners to believe the gospel. And that's what we do as the church because we're promised that because I have called, um, you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. We're promised in verse 33, but whoso hearkeneth unto me, if you listen to God and you take these things which are said, shall dwell safely. And then we, we, we're told by, by this wisdom, we're seeing the Spirit at work. And so we take this wisdom, we, we chew on it, we talk about it, and God blesses us, and it actually manifests itself in the pathos of the church, the way the church conducts itself. So the refusal, there's a refusal, and there's a responsibility, and there, there's the promise. We understand that the refusal is nothing more than Romans chapter 3, if you want to put that on the screen, verses 10 through 12, is teaching us that there are none good, no, not one. I don't want to misquote. If you put Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. 
They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So there is a refusal, but there's also this responsibility that we have when we read something like this. And if you tell somebody about these things, that if you actually hearken unto God and you actually call upon him, that your promise that he'll actually save you, if you believe this thing, you have a responsibility, then they will take that. They either reject it or if it's God's work. Now we know this is the thing. We know that there's an elect chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. We read this in the book of Ephesians. But we also know that the duty of the church is to call out to everybody. It is a universal call. But it's, a, um, it's, it's only for those who are chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. We don't know who they are. Why would God do that is the question. Why would he have us as church call out, have people come that are his, and then others um, actually not come and be under his judgment? It's their responsibility. This is the conundrum. This is the Charlie horse between the ears. But this is where we have to have logic and reason, kind of massage these things out. And here's the logic and reason. Listen very carefully. I'm going to tell you. I want you to take this home. Don't forget, because he's God. Because he's God. He's the one that made this. This is for his enjoyment. This is for his purpose. This is for his glory. Remember what the Proverbs 16 says. It says that he's made all things, yea, even the wicked, for what? The day of evil. And why? As um, one theologian said, why would God do this? It's for his glory. For his glory. And who are we to question God? You are either going to be on one side or the other. That's why the old prophets of old said, choose whom you will serve this day. The call is repentance. Turn from your sins. Turn at his reproof. The promise is salvation. The promise is um, the spirit. And this refusal, this responsibility, this promise, if it's rejected, there will be dire consequences. But let's, let's end here where it says, Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, that's in salvation, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. So we'll stop there. And